Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? <laughs> yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kibbe. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Thank you there, Matt. Shout out to my uh, good friend there, by the way, Matt Altan. He is the voice of The Brian Nichols Show. And if you're ever looking for one of the, just one of those amazing voice actors that I've ever met, just let me know and I'll, I'll hook you up with uh, the great Matt Altan. But you're here today, folks, for a fun-filled episode, yes, of The Brian Nichols Show. And I am your humble host, Brian Nichols. And today we are joined yet again, yes, yet again, by easily one of my favorite guests. And that is... Uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Kibbe of Free the People, and now of Blaze TV's Kibbe on Liberty. And, and boy, oh boy, do Matt and I have a just absolutely fantastic conversation. Uh, never a dull moment when you have a conversation with Matt Kibbe. Um, so go ahead, enjoy today's episode. Yeah, we're going to have a lot of fun talking about Kibbe on Liberty. Uh, also, our, our appearances together at uh, Yalcon. Granted, they, they weren't necessarily together, but hey, I was at Yalcon, Matt Kibbe was at Yalcon, our booths may have been right next to each other, uh, I, I'm just saying, it, it was meant to be. Um, and then also, further on, we have a fun conversation about Hayek, uh, we discussed Trump, Mueller, Bob Barr, that whole wild, crazy, just nonsensical situation, and then we wrap up discussing uh, 2020 and uh, Matt's wish list for uh, potential candidates, and maybe uh, discuss a little bit about one congressman Justin Amash. I don't know. I may have said too much, but with that, onto the show, Matt Kibbe, once again on the Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. Good to talk to you. Good to talk to you, sir. And it was a, it was a pleasure to meet you at uh, Yalcon here in Philadelphia back beginning of uh, last month in April. Um, and, and coincidentally, we had a booth right next to you. So it was, uh, it was nice to meet you finally in person. And I mean, I obviously knew what you looked like, but actually put a, the real person to the, the name and the, the voice. So it was, uh, great to meet you. And I, I know you did, you had a lot of fun there at Yalcon <laughs> with Free the People, but also, uh, leading a couple of debates there. Yeah, it was, I mean, it's always great to be with a community of people that, that love liberty. It's, you know, sometimes you feel this way. Probably everyone listening to this feels this way. Sometimes you feel like you're all alone. So, when you see a room filled with hundreds of people that are that are sharing your values and 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 fighting the same fight that you are, it's it's pretty inspirational. That's the that's the gasoline that, that keeps me going. There was literally hundreds of kids there with uh, with Cliff Maloney's Young Americans for Liberty, and I must say, just you know, aside, what Cliff's been doing over at Yale is absolutely amazing. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of students, you know, from from their freshman year all the way up to their their senior years, and then those beyond, you know, the education system that that are you know they're living their lives as young Americans 
literally looking for opportunities to advance their liberties. So to see him going across the U.S. and bringing all these people together, it's refreshing for me, like you said, as someone who often feels alone in the liberty movement, to see, hey, you know what? We're not alone, number one. But number two, we're actually making a difference. I mean, Young Americans for Liberty win at the door. That's been absolutely instrumental in actually electing liberty-oriented representatives, both in local but also state elections. And I dare say we're going to see very soon, we're going to have Young Americans for Liberty winning at the door for, for national elections. So, so it's very exciting and uh, really it's, it's invigorating for the liberty movement, just from my perspective at the very least. Yeah, like I, I, I've told Cliff this, and I'll give him a shameless plug here. Um, he's, he's basically doing what, what I had hoped that the Tea Party would get to, because in, in hindsight, we sort of did everything wrong in the sense that we focused on top-down political goals first and first and he's he's building the talent pool from the bottom up and that that of course is fundamental to everything we believe in everything good in life comes from bottom up through voluntary cooperation through grassroots action and i, I think we're going to see um the fruits of that in the next two five ten twenty years this is this is what the left does so well and and liberty people always have it, it feels like a lot of times we, we, we just think stuff is going to happen spontaneously, but you got to work. You, you got to build. It's one thing. So I actually led a, uh, a session. Um, and what we did was we focused on what you can do in the liberty movement outside of actually being employed uh, by the liberty movement. So if you're looking for opportunities to get involved um, both not only in the, the greater liberty movement for nonprofits or what have you, but also things you can do within your local communities um, beyond just you know running for office and so forth, actually getting involved that way. So to show that there are ways you can make a difference beyond running for office and, and you know pushing for you know, a, a position of a think tank or what have you, there are things you can do in your communities or things you can do in your personal lives that actually will help move, the, uh, move, move things forward for, uh, for liberty and, and actually makes a substantive difference in the real, in the real scheme of things. Yeah, and I, I think I think it's important to to point out. Like I've I've probably spent too much of my life uh, worrying about and trying to af affect political outcomes. And I'm and I'm proud of some of the people that we helped elect back in the day. But I, I think the revolution today starts upstream of politics. I, th I think it's in the popular culture, and that means that that people that that want no part of of political action are are more needed than ever we need we need artists and storytellers and and people that are willing to work in their local community to solve problems voluntarily instead of looking to the government to, to create a new program these are the sorts of things that that the modern liberty movement i think needs to focus on um, because let's be honest washington dc is never going to be the solution you know we can we can stop the bleeding we can we can have those those lone stalwarts like like Rand Paul and Justin Amash and Thomas Massey and Mike Lee. Um, their voice in Washington is very important, but but honestly, your voice is more important. And if if we as individuals don't take that responsibility to to be part of the the solution by affecting the culture, by affecting opinion, by solving your your neighbor is in trouble, and by helping that person solve that problem. It, to me, that's that's the key to the to the next revolution. Um, and, and people who listened to you last time you joined me in the Brian Nichols show, obviously we're more focused on free the people, which has been your nonprofit 
push to really help show that cultural impact of liberty and the, the value of having liberty in your personal life. Um, but since we last spoke, you've taken on a new venture over at uh, Blaze TV, which was uh, formerly CRTV that uh, joined there with Glenn Beck's The Blaze. And now you have your, your new program, Kibby on Liberty. So first and foremost, Matt, congratulations on the new, the new program. But maybe if you could give us some, uh, some insight into Kibby on Liberty. What was the, the fuel of the fire that got Kibby on Liberty started? And what's been the reception so far from the greater public? So the, the, the reception so far is, is good. And, and we're seeing nice uh, growth from episode to episode. It's a new podcast. It's also published on YouTube as a video. We publish it all over the place. So if you want to find Kibbe on Liberty, you're going to find it on whatever platform you prefer. But to me, the 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 the, the future, and it gets back to this this culture thing, the, the future is independent-minded people. I call them liberty curious, looking for an alternative from straight up team red or straight up team blue, an alternative to the tribal warfare between the, the hard right and the hard left, I, you know, these these terms are tossed around and 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 most people don't even know what they mean anymore. But they they know they know one thing. Like, I just want to get along with my neighbor. I don't I don't resent anybody else. I want to I want to be left alone to cooperate and and pursue my dreams as long as I don't hurt people or take their stuff. So so Kibbe on Liberty is designed to be sort of the the anti clickbait, the anti uh, let's hate on the other side for 15 minutes and get all the clicks and likes. Um, it's really it's really intended to be a thoughtful conversation that explores different viewpoints. Certainly, I, I wear my libertarianism on my sleeve. Everybody knows where I'm coming from. But we've had conservatives and progressives and, and libertarians. And, you know, my hope is to have have more comedians and musicians and artists and and, and fewer economists like myself, because there's Honestly, there's only so much you can take. <laughs> so I forget the gentleman's name that was on your show. I, I really do enjoy listening to your show. But there was a one gentleman who was on your show that you are, are good friends with personally. But he is, I believe, a, a far left leftist, like borderline socialist. If, is that ringing a bell? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, Eric Liu. Eric is, Liu. Is, is a guy that I've been working with since I left FreedomWorks. And uh, he, was a, he was a speechwriter for Bill Clinton. And he's he's very progressive. I, he would call himself a communitarian. He in, in that conversation, he he disavows socialism. He calls himself a capitalist. And we, we argue about about, you know, what 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 that means. But but, yeah, he's 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 pretty much the opposite of me. It was refreshing because it was it was actually a chance for someone to listen to an intelligent conversation between two people who you know could not be more opposite in their political leanings or their philosophical beliefs, yet somehow, miraculously, in 2019, where everybody seems to hate everyone else, you were willing, you were willing and able and actually did have a productive conversation. There was no yelling. There was no screaming. And I think not only did you two walk away from the conversation feeling like, okay, you know, we, we, we had a fun, invigorating, I thought, you know, very thought-provoking conversation, but I think the audience did as well. So, What's been, that been like for you to be able to have those kind of conversations with people that maybe you don't necessarily line up with politically? Well, that to me that that's more interesting, and and I and and the reason I'm I'm part of this uh, mostly progressive group that that Eric organizes is I I'm I'm fascinated by the the barriers to in terms of the language you use the the barriers in terms of 
of sort of philosophical constructs that right, left, libertarian, however you want to create these categories, how, how, how so often we talk past each other. And, and, you know, if you can't hear what the other side is trying to say, um, it's, it's just easier to call them names and assume that they're not, they're not really human beings. They don't, they, they don't share your values. They're the enemy. And I, I don't buy that paradigm. And, and it's, it's kind of interesting this morning, I, I reread an old essay by Frederick Hayek called the intellectuals and in socialism. And, and this is the reading assignment for everybody listening tonight. Um, it's a, it's a very short essay, but. But he's he's dealing with the same problem that we have today around 1949. You know, we've just survived a clash of all the deadly isms in World War II, fascism and Nazism and socialism and Leninism and, and Marxism and all that stuff. And, and socialism is on the march. And he's he's talking about our, our inability to sort of meet that toe to toe. With with better arguments and and and, and frankly a more um, a more compelling alternative vision of the future and and part is you know step one is is treat your intellectual opponent with with dignity don't assume that they have bad intentions and and try to actually understand where they're coming from so so you know a lot of you know there's a drinking game on my show every time I say Hayekian. People have to drink, and, and <laughs> it's very much inspired by Hayek. I, I try not to be too geeky, but but like listening to what people, even AOC, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, listening to what she thinks she's trying to say, and not and then not, not just fixated on the factual mistakes or some of the other things that that probably trigger libertarians, but but actually trying to figure out what makes her compelling to a, to a, right. a bunch of people. Well, it's funny because when I, 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 I think it might've been the episode we were talking about earlier um, where you were discussing AOC and you were mentioning how, when she was doing her, her campaign kickoff during her speech, she was giving a lot of libertarian dog whistles, almost talking about corruption in government and how, um, you know, the, the common person's not being listened to because of this, um, this this corporatism uh, that's been taking over the government. Uh, but then as soon as she starts recommending solutions, that's where we lose her. And I think the point you were making was that when we listen to the the other side, we might be able to actually find that, yeah, we recognize the problems being the same problems. It's just a matter of where we find the solutions. So to actually be able to have a conversation with someone and finding where we can find common ground for those solutions versus just instantly trying to shut them off because we think their solutions are, you know, whether it's, you know, the socialism or communism or, or what have you, fascism, and it's going to be, you know, the, the end of the world. Let's actually have a conversation to see what their actual concerns are and then how we can actually approach to, to solve that concern, be it through the, the public sector, the, the private sector, the free market, what have you. Yeah. And, 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 and tying her directly to Hayek, she, she recently said much to, much to our um, dismissal that it's more important to be um, morally correct. I, mean, I just butchered the quote. It's, it's more important to be morally right than factually correct. And, and you, you could react to that and say, no, 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 the facts matter. But what she's saying, and, and she's right and we're wrong, is that it's, it's more important to tell a value values based human story that people can connect with the facts are sort of an afterthought in that argument and and you know for years i've been scolding my fellow libertarians for 
for starting and ending all of their arguments with a spreadsheet with tiny little numbers on it that that no one can consume. And, and you know, we're always trying to sort of lead with facts on healthcare instead of pointing out that we're trying to make sure that that mom's daughter gets the care that she needs and gets it in an affordable and reliable way. And and we, ne- we, we never remember to say that um, when the left talks about healthcare, they say the opposite. They don't even talk about solutions. They just throw on, we need socialist, socialist medicine at the end of the story. But the story they tell is about a mom that you immediately rela- relate to because she's trying to fix a problem that is desperately fundamental to everything that she cares about. And, and to appreciate that you lead with, with that human story, we have a better story. We tell the story about how people come together from the bottom up in voluntary cooperation and, and do all these beautiful things. Again, sort of a Hayekian point, but I, I think a lot of democratic socialists are thinking that, that, that when they say those words, they're talking about a local-based problem-solving, voluntary cooperation sort of model. And of course, socialism in practice, uh, government-run healthcare, government-run fill-in-the-blank is the opposite of that. But it's, it's those values that we need to connect with. And I think, I think that's something where, where we can make some progress. So that perfect segue to my next question was you, you've had obviously a lot of people on your show ranging from elected officials to activists. So based on your conversations, what do you think has been like the overlying uh, agreement in terms of where we're missing the messaging from either the libertarian, liberty oriented uh, mindset or even some of those more in the conservatarian conservative mindset? Where are we losing the ability to have a conversation where where are we losing our messaging that's actually turning people off well the the uh the the, the modern uh, conservative and i see this a lot in the libertarian side um there seems to be all the energy seems to be uh, focused on quote owning the libs or you know <laughs> own, owning the enemy and making them look like fools and mocking them on social media and and, and generating a lot of energy that way. I think, I think, I think people are missing the forest for the trees because yes, you get more shares and likes if you do that. But remember the audience are those young independent minded people, that audience that I call Liberty curious, they're curating their um, ideology and their framework for figuring out how to interpret the world um, one click at a time. And the, the thing that they hate most and the thing that they would immediately dismiss is anybody that sort of represents sort of the beat your chest tribal warfare approach to things. They don't like it on the left or the right. Um, they're looking for a conversation. They're looking for uh, people that are actually open minded to to competing ideas. So I I think in a lot of ways, uh, uh, Trumpism, whatever else it is, this idea that you're just going to own the other side, um, even if they did it first. Um, that to me is, is a dead end strategy. It it may be emotionally fulfilling, um, for people that, that just want to, um, sort of spike the ball, but it's, it's, it's not, it's not how we change hearts and minds. And supposedly that's the business we're in. We're, we're (laughs) convinced the next generation that Liberty is a better model. It's a more morally compelling model. It's a more efficient model. It's a, it's a better way to make sure that we can can lift everybody 
into a better place. So based on that, so the folks you've had on your show, especially those who are actually elected to office, it seems like those folks such as Mike Lee, Justin Amash, Thomas Massey, they're in that mindset of trying to change hearts and minds. And obviously, I mean, I, I keep on pushing back to your documentary you did with Matt or with uh, Thomas Massey, which was off the grid, part of Free the People. And uh, I mean, I have a lot of lefty friends living here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who are, are not only just leftists in general or very progressive, but very environmentally conscious. And to show them and direct them towards your documentary with, with Congressman Massey and saying, well, look, you have one of the, the most staunch, we'll say, uh, Republican libertarians in Congress. And not only is he living in a in a true environmentally conscious way, but he's the only congressman who truly is doing this, and he happens just to be a libertarian slash conservative Republican. Um, and to see their minds kind of go, you know, just this this like error sign, it's it's kind of exciting for me because I can say, see, we can actually find solutions to the problems you're raising up without government. And it's almost like the, the does not compute sign comes up and they don't know how to respond to it. So are you finding when having these these types of guests on your show that you're actually seeing people like your your listeners or or, or what have you who are, are saying to you, hey, you know, Matt, I'm I listened to your show and I actually did find that, you know, maybe my preconceived notions weren't correct. And I've actually changed my mind on a few issues. You know, I, I, I do hear that. Um, it's it's all anecdotal. We, do, we we haven't done enough to have actual data to show how how much we're moving the needle. But but that 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 mini documentary off the grid with Thomas Massey is a great example of of the model we're trying to pursue because there's not a hell of a lot of like uh, tribal ideology expressed in that movie. He's just talking about a life philosophy that guides him. He wants to be independent. He wants to be sustainable. He doesn't want the government to control him through that 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 wire, that that electrical connection. So he he does it all for himself, and he does it in a very uh, in a very environmentally friendly way because he he wants to steward the land that that he owns, and he wants his children and his grandchildren to to live that legacy. Um, to me, that that could sound you know he could sound sort of a, like a hippy dippy lefty. Or he could sound like a libertarian. And, and in practice, um, you know, as long as the government's not involved, maybe there's not that much difference in those values. It's, it, it really gets down to um, both independence and interdependence with, with Thomas Massey's neighbors. You know, he, he depends on good neighbors as well. And those things aren't um, fundamentally different. You can't, you can't have good neighbors unless you're all free to, to cooperate and work things out. So that that sort of that sort of exploring and and messaging is is really essential and and something that that us us libertarians could could probably think about a little bit. And I, I look, I, I grew up reading Ayn Rand, but sometimes that that sort of rugged individualist message strips away a lot of the context that, that, that we talk about and, and why we think communities function, why we think that problem solving can happen from the bottom up. It's, it's not just rage against the machine, leave me alone, am I being detained? Although those, those things are very important. It's also, hey, we have, uh, we have innovative entrepreneurial cooperative solutions to all sorts of problems that, that, you and I are worried about, even though we come from different sides of the political fence. 
So uh, let's do a complete 180 because, uh, you know, obviously you're involved in the uh, the DC political structure more uh, more than a lot of folks who listen to this episode would be uh, living down in DC yourself. So what's the talk of the town there, Matt, with regards to Bob Barr, uh, Robert Mueller and the, the whole the, the Robert Mueller case that came down um, for the investigation and then Bob Barr saying that there's no collusion and now the Democrats going wild. What's been kind of your take as uh, being the guy on the ground from just DC in general, and then maybe what's your personal opinion on what's uh, all going on over there? Well, it's, uh, it's funny. Cause uh, I, I think, I think most normal, normal people don't care. They, they view it as, as partisan warfare. Um, and they, they probably don't particularly trust either side. And, and in that, and in that sense, uh, Trump is winning because he's he's playing a hardball game, just like just like uh, Mueller and the Democrats did. Um, I am sort of interested. I, I agree with Rand Paul. You know, I'm not a huge Trump guy, um, but I agree with Rand Paul that that the the clear evidence that that the deep states during the Obama administration um, went after and, and spied after the, on the Trump campaign. That that should be fairly concerning stuff to anybody. Any any civil libertarian, left, right, or center um, should be worried that that these these sort of permanent bureaucrats are trying to monkey with our elections. Supposedly, we're worried about Russians monkeying with our elections, but but to me, it looks like uh, it looks like the permanent class in Washington D.C. was trying to choose their quote unquote next leader, and I, I think that's I think that's weird. And I think it's dangerous. And and I support uh, Rand Paul and Thomas Massey's talked a lot about this as well. Um, but I also agree with uh, Andrew Napolitano. Judge Napolitano um, has sort of stuck his neck neck out over at Fox News, um, pointing out that that a lot of the uh, detail in the in the uh, Mueller report is 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 problematic for Trump if in fact. Um, the Democrats choose to pursue impeachment, which I don't think they will. Well, I mean, Andrew Napolitano faced a lot of flack from even Trump himself. I mean, Trump went out of his way, I think it was last Sunday or the Sunday previous, and, and went out uh, on a tweet storm, a, a tweet rampage against uh, Judge Napolitano. And it's funny because Judge Napolitano was one of the few judges who actually went and sat down with Trump uh, when the, the first Supreme Court vac- uh, vac- vacancy was being filled to give him, you know, his recommendations. And evidently it did help lead to, uh, one Supreme court justice, Neil Gorsuch, which thank goodness for that. But to see Trump, uh, really do this complete 180. I mean, honestly, from my perspective, it looks like it's kind of part and parcel to Trump's character. And it, it's just, I'm not really surprised at this point because Trump seems to be a very transactional individual where he'll take whatever he can from you in, in the, the interim. And then afterwards he'll toss you to the side as after he's, he's gotten away he needed. So um, to see someone like Andrew Napolitano stand on the principles and, and say, no, you know, there, there is something here that doesn't look right, especially in terms of the uh, accusation of obstruction of justice. You know, we should probably look at this and to see him standing firm against Trump, despite the backlash that, you know, Trump <laughs> just completely unleashed on Andrew Napolitano. Um, actually, there's a great interview over on the Reason podcast where uh, Nick Gillespie uh, sat down with Judge Napolitano and discussed just this. Um, so it's good to see that there are those people who did have President's Trump, uh, President Trump's ear who are going to be willing to stand on principle and tell him when, hey, you know what you're doing isn't right or it isn't in line with the, the constitutionalist or libertarian ideals that you've been looking to us for guidance with. 
it's I mean, you're right. Uh, Trump is 100 percent transactional. If you're if you're helping him, he's on your side up right up until the moment when you're not on his side and and then he's your enemy. But that's sort of a caricature of politics in general. It's 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 all very transactional. It's all about them and not us. So I, I don't I don't think in a lot of ways Trump has stripped away some of the the remaining romance that, you know, if we would just get the right person in charge and give them all the power, everything's going to be fine. You know, we libertarians think that's ridiculous. This isn't about this isn't about finding good people to rule over us. It's about it's about us um, making those choices for ourselves. But I, I will say this. It's tough being a liberty guy in Washington, D.C. today to be consistent and to be willing to call out uh, Republicans as well as Democrats is a very partisan town. It's a team sport. And you, you can look at the way that the once uh, anti-war skeptical of nation building left um, fell in line when it was Obama dropping the bombs. And, and now they're concerned again. And, and you have the same sort of partisan dynamic amongst Republicans who used to be against abuse of presidential power. They mocked Obama for uh, threatening to use his pen and his phone. And and now, you know, if Trump does an executive action, you know, this this emergency order um, recently, you know what, there's just, just a few guys, and we've mentioned a lot of their names, there are just a few guys in Washington that spoke up and said, no, um, Congress decides that the president doesn't have that discretionary authority. Um, I, I appreciate the judge and anybody else that's actually willing to speak up, but it's a it's you, you do so at your own peril. This this is not an easy thing for them. So let's uh, let's kind of focus more towards the election of 2020, because I'm curious to hear your perspective, obviously, being a libertarian and and kind of being, you know, that, that one toe towards some of the conservatarians out there like the Mike Lee's of the world. Do, do you think that there's a, a push to, to maintain support behind someone like a President Trump. Uh, I mean, obviously, looking back to 2016, the, the base was entirely divided. You had a lot of libertarian Republicans who were leaning towards Gary Johnson. Uh, you had more of the never-Trump Republicans who, I would dare say, were more establishment, who maybe more Marco Rubio or Ted Cruz. They decided to uh, to you know either endorse Trump or just completely go the other direction, like an Evan McMullen, or not vote at all. I know Ben Shapiro didn't vote. I know uh, Glenn Beck voted for Evan McMullen. So... Do we do you see maybe in 2020 there to be this coalescing of the libertarian Republicans, the the never Trumpers and, and those maybe who are more establishment to say, OK, you know what? He's not a good person, but he's gotten a lot of good policy that we would support enacted. Let's just, you know, hold our nose and pull the pull the lever for, for Donald Trump. Do you see that happening or am I completely off base? I, I think that's that's likely to happen, particularly if the economy remains strong, um, they see that the left is very disappointed that, that we had a good quarter performance in terms of uh, growth and, and employment. But, you know, the midterms, uh, midter I don't know if, even know if that's the right word, but, you know, a, an incumbent president pursuing reelection, it, it's very hard to, to primary that guy. Um, it, it's probably hard to get a third party bid launched well in that environment. But, but I, I think, I think it's going to happen. You know, I, I, I worked for Gary Johnson after Rand Paul pulled out of the race in 2016. And 
I, I think it's just a matter of time before the two-party cartel sort of falls apart and all of these rules that prevent third parties from, from competing and participating, that, that is going to go by the wayside for all the same reasons that the, the media monopoly and corporate monopolies and, and, and news monopolies and all that stuff have gone by the wayside. It's kind of a chicken and an egg. And I'm thinking specifically of the Libertarian Party. Um, they, they need someone powerful and charismatic, someone that, someone that can basically help the party build itself to the next level. But that candidate is probably looking at the party saying, this, this looks like a suicide mission. I can't win. And, and I, don't, I don't know when that snaps out, um, but I, I think it's going to happen. And, and I happen to believe that competition is a good thing. I'm not, a, I'm not one of these guys that will sort of circle the wagons around the, the lesser of two evils. I, I don't think that's good enough. Elephant in the room, I think, uh, obviously looking at Justin Amash, right? Justin has uh, been one of the top discussed candidates to be running as a libertarian um, for president. Uh, but also, I mean, there, there's a lot of questions like, should, should Justin stay in Congress? And obviously there's been discussion about his his district being uh, gerrymandered out. And if that's the case, maybe he should run for U.S. Senate or or uh, Michigan's governor. So, I mean, it looks like Justin has a lot of options on the table. Um, I guess to that, what would you say, Matt, would be a good plan of approach um, for Justin going forward? Well, I think I think he needs to weigh all of those options. And, and I don't have any inside information, but but it depends what he's looking to accomplish. And, it, and this takes us full circle to what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, one of the things that I never fully appreciated about Ron Paul running for president, and I, honestly, I'm not sure that he fully appreciated what he was doing at the time, but he was, even though he's running for president, he was running upstream of politics. He was talking about ideas and values and he, he reintroduced the Republican Party to the, the idea of foreign policy constraint. He reintroduced them to the, the idea of separation of powers. Um, he even reintroduced uh, both parties to the idea that you can't just create money out of nowhere and assume that there aren't horrible consequences. Um, and he used the presidential stage to do that. So, so in that sense, politics was was a pop culture phenomenon. Most people don't pay attention to politics, but but maybe if they'll give it a couple hours every four years, they'll watch a presidential debate. So um, maybe if 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 the Libertarian Party and the candidate for the party decides that politics is a means by which we we educate the next generation on values that really matter, um, maybe that's a good decision to make. But um, Justin Amash specifically, but but any of the people that we've been talking about, they're really important voices in the House and Senate. So there's a there's a cost to making a decision like that. A, a cost for sure. Now, I want to uh, kind of go towards the other political party here. So right now, obviously, everybody and their mother is running for the Democratic nomination. Um, is there one candidate in particular that you would look at as a, a libertarian and say, you know what? OK, I'm I'm. I'm okay with that person. Yeah. So, um, and I, I've tweeted this and, and I'd love to get her on my show. Tulsi Gabbard is, is a really interesting candidate and, and I don't pretend for a minute that we would agree on a lot of things, particularly when it comes to domestic policy, but, but she's been willing to speak up against her own party about 
about the military industrial complex and the fact that we don't seem to ever want to get out of wars in Afghanistan and other places. And, and if you, if you study a little bit about history and I, I've become sort of very fixated on, on foreign policy for this reason, the amount of treasure that we spend, the amount of lives lost, the fact that we never get out of these conflicts. Um, this is how nations die. This is, this is how big empires in the past have, have collapsed under their own weight. And somebody, a Democrat, a Republican, a Libertarian, needs to speak truth to power on this. And, and you see the way that, that she is just lambasted by her own party um, and trashed by the media. Um, I feel like she's probably on to something there. And, and I, I, would, I would love to talk to her about it. I don't imagine talking to me probably helps her in a Democratic primary. Um, but, but somebody's got to carry that flag. And, and, you know, supposedly Trump is skeptical of, of expanding war in Syria. Um, he, the, 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 the decision, the, the veto on Yemen was, was a huge step backwards for him. I'm, I'm not convinced that, that Trump is that guy. I think, I think people hear what they want to hear when they hear Trump as a non-interventionist. But more voices, the better. I don't really care if it's a Democrat or Republican or a socialist or a libertarian or, or, or a nationalist, anybody that's willing to actually say, you know what, we're in too many wars, we can't afford it, and we're creating a lot of chaos, we got to get out. You know, I was actually like kind of excited for a Trump presidency, not because I like Trump, but because he was the only one besides Rand Paul on that debate stage in the 2016 presidential nominations that was was saying the the, the non-interventionist line. He was saying the Ron Paul line. I was like, all right, like, you know, even even though I can't stand the guy's you know personality, I, if he's elected president, I can at least hold out hope that maybe he will pull our troops back. And then, you know, after a year or so in the office, he, he puts, you know, John Bolton back into the cabinet. And I'm like, God damn it. Like, we actually were doing so well for a while. And then John Bolton's back in, in the you know sphere of influence in the White House. So I know I, along with many other libertarians, are very disappointed in how Trump's ended up uh, looking at his, his approach to foreign policy. But um, let's kind of go back again one more time towards the Democrats. So Tulsi Gabbard, I'm right there with you, Matt. I think she'd be great in terms of actually helping advance a, a pro peace, anti-war message that's desperately needed on the left. Um, but I do not have uh, too much hope that she's going to get, you know, anywhere above five, maybe even 10% in the polls. And that might be very generous even at that. So unfortunately, I don't think she's going to get anywhere, but I'm curious to see who your thoughts are as actually being maybe the true front runner right now for the Democrats in 2020. But who do you actually see eventually taking uh, the nomination and uh, facing Trump face to face? Well, I'll, I'll start my speculation by saying I have no idea um, because I, of course, was in the very crowded Republican field in 2016 working for, for Rand Paul. And we, we thought that Rand had a very um, doable path to victory. And, and Trump just completely exploded that entire strategy. So we're in this very disruptive time in presidential politics where the old rules um are not necessarily in play anymore. And the old rules would be, um, you know, who's been standing in line the longest? Let's, let's talk about Joe Biden. Joe Biden has been waiting forever to be the next president of the United States, as Hillary Clinton was before him. And of course, the Democratic Party chose Hillary Clinton, um, even though you had lots of insurgents, particularly Bernie, that, that could have given her a run for the money if the, if the rules of the game weren't, weren't rigged the way they were. 
Um, supposedly the DNC's backed down a little bit, and now you have like this this infinite field of progressives sort of trying to out social justice warrior each other. Um, it it could be the case that they that they all cancel each other out, and Joe Biden, who will cling to twenty five percent of of the Democratic primary voters, particularly in in key swing states, maybe maybe that's enough. Um, it'd be sort of funny after all this that that Joe Biden, the guy that's been standing in line um, since the 1980s, becomes the Democratic nominee. But it's it's not impossible. But I but again, I it's anybody that tells you that they know is what's going to happen. Go see what they predicted about Trump. Go see what they said about about Ron Paul. Go see what they said about the Tea Party. People that think they know the rule of politics um, are probably being a little bit uh, arrogant about how much they think they know. It would be the ultimate icing on the cake if in the SJW field for Democratic presidential nominees that Joe Biden, the old white guy, actually would get the, the nomination. That would just be, you know, <laughs> that would just be the icing on the cake. So I would I would just I would be interested to see if that actually will take place. I mean, I think, um, you know, very much in line with like what Ben Shapiro, uh, Ben Shapiro has been saying is that uh, Joe Biden's best day on the candidacy uh, or rather the best day in the campaign trail was his first day. So um, I, I'm I'm kind of waiting to see. I mean, I'm not sure if he does start to take off a little bit more than he has been. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the, the creepy Uncle Joe stuff kind of starts picking up a little bit more in depth. Um, I mean, it's just the, the tip of the iceberg with some of the stuff that took place there. I think it was actually more like trial balloons. They were like, OK, let's let's just toss out a few of these these uh, accusations and see what happens and how it's re- received by the greater public. And I think it kind of put him on his toes a little bit because he did have to issue an apology. And then obviously Trump tweeted the apology with, with the, the Joe Biden superimposed rubbing his shoulders, which I thought was absolutely hilarious. Um, yeah. The yeah. presidential, no. Funny, yes. Um, <laughs> they say what you want about Donald Trump. He's the Jedi master of trolls. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, one of our, our guys over at the uh, the We Are Libertarians podcast, um, they they tweeted out the other day. It was a uh, it was it was from uh, is it Endgame or Infinity War? But it's with uh, uh, Benedict Cumberjack, uh, Cumberjack's character, uh, Doctor Strange, and uh, it's where he oh is in Infinity War, and there's the spell where uh, it can't be broken in terms of the Infinity Stone that he has. And he says it's an old spell, but it uh, you know it's one of the best. And it was that meme in a, when Trump um, tweets something using a typo, and how yep. the media will just go ahead and they'll broadcast his message everywhere just because it has a typo not realizing that what they're doing is actually helping spread the, the narrative he's trying to promote to people who otherwise may have not seen it on the confines of twitter or within the confines of their political spheres of influence so it's like they're they're doing his job and they don't even realize it yeah they, he, he he does really know how to play the media and and keep their attention and and that and, and getting back to the earlier conversation that crowds out any potential challengers because because Trump will dominate the conversation. It makes it very difficult for 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 the for the Democrat as well. And I, you know, I, I, I hate to I hate to make predictions because in, in one sense, like if Bernie was a little bit younger, I think I think he would have the nomination. Yep. Um, but the the one advantage Joe Biden has, and this is a this is an important difference between the 2016 field and the the field with Ron Paul and, and Mitt Romney, and I don't even remember who, but but Ron Paul had this sort of entire anti-establishment vote and the Liberty vote um, all to himself. 
And by the time Rand Paul got to 2016, he was competing with a lot of serious candidates, a lot of a lot of candidates that the Tea Party elected successful governors like Scott Walker. Um, and of course, you know, Ted Cruz and even Marco Rubio was was a Tea Party guy back in the day. Yep. Um, and so the the new um, whoever the new it person is in, in Democratic progressivism, they, they get a lot of competition for that for that mantle. And it's going to be interesting to see if the net result is that the old establishment guy with all of his baggage still gets the nomination. <laughs> so let, let's uh, do one last little game of uh, predictions here. I know you don't like predictions, but I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Um, so 2020, we're we're heading down to the the final days of the election. Who who's the the, the candidate that's facing Trump? And then um, what do you think the prediction of the outcome is going to be after the uh, the dust settles on election night? Well, I'm going to I'm going to uh, um, create a wish list instead of a prediction. <laughs> I'd like for uh, Tulsi Gabbard to be the Democratic nominee, and I'd like for Justin Amash to be the Libertarian nominee, and and I'd love for one of them to win. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't we all? Well, listen, Matt, thank you so much again for uh, for coming on my show. And obviously, uh, folks, if you're you're interested in the great ideas that Mr. Matt Kibbe has here, you can go over and follow him over on uh, freethepeople.org, not .com. That's a women's clothing line. I, I, I got confused one day. I was like, what What happened to Matt's website? And <laughs> lo and behold, I was on the wrong site. Um, but also Kibbe on Liberty over at Blaze TV. Um, it's a great, great podcast. A lot of great guests. And, and as Matt says, it's a mostly, inter- in mostly interesting conversations with mostly interesting people. So, uh, so also with that, folks, uh, go ahead and follow Matt over on social media. Matt, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me on, on Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitter. You can find Free the People on all those things as well. And it's just as it sounds, it's Matt Kibbe or Free the People. Awesome. All right. Well, listen, folks, uh, thank you again for joining us on another fun-filled episode of The Brian Nichols Show. Uh, so, as always, follow me on social media over at uh, B. Nichols Liberty, both on Facebook and on Twitter. And if you could, please share today's episode. Give us a rate and review over on iTunes. And as always, folks, until next week, it's Brian Nichols signing off here in The Brian Nichols Show for Matt Kibbe of Kibbe on Liberty. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.